Welcome to Friendship. This is your host, James Healy. I'd like to welcome all of you in the KGBC radio community to another edition of the Power for Positive Living. I am here with the Friendship House here in Galveston, and I'd like to thank all of you very much for your very positive comments that you've been giving to us on our program here on Thursday evenings. The introduction of wellness psychology as an enrichment for quality living. We find it very exciting and certainly do appreciate all of the notes that you've been sending to us as well as the calls over at Friendship. Once again, we are here every Thursday evening at 8 o'clock p.m. And we do invite you to write your ideas, your interest, things that you would like to have us cover here on your program. This segment, I'd like to spend some time talking with my special guest for the evening. He is Mr. Malcolm Hunter, the director of the Small Business Development Center and associated with Galveston College. One of the things that I wanted to have you on the show for several reasons. Recently, the Chronicle in Houston was reporting a survey that showed a number of people were not in the jobs that they had planned to do when they were in school. They had taken the job because it was the first one available or because the family engineered them into it. But over 50% of the people seemed to be unhappy in the kind of work they were doing because it was different from what they wanted to do. Well, based on those kinds of surveys and the dialogue that you have with people who come to the business center, do you find many people unhappy with the work that they are doing? Well, I think this is perhaps a sign of the times. In past periods, years and years ago, we found that that people pretty much stayed in one career. They started with a, a company or they started in a particular profession or uh, farmers or whatever and basically grew up in these particular environments and stayed with them. In recent times, we find that people have become much more mobile and perhaps a lot of those circumstances, conditions are the fact that we are a much more transient society. We tend to move easily between borders or states throughout the U.S. Yes, we do find an awful lot of people that are are dissatisfied with their position, their profession, many, many other factors enter into it, and we find more and more that people are changing careers. Some statistics recently have been that it's projected for the future not to be really that unusual that people perhaps may change jobs three to five times in a lifetime and perhaps even careers two to three times. Now, since you're differentiating between changing jobs and changing careers, what criteria are you using for Well, that? let's say that an individual within a company might be in a sales organization or a sales department of a company and they might move from that into the manufacturing department, meaning a change of jobs, so to speak. Change of careers would be changing from the engineering profession to a consultant or going back to school, for example, and studying medicine and becoming a doctor. So, in other words, you are seeing people who are changing, you said, two to three times in their whole career pattern. Exactly. That is a major change because I, I sense when I was in college that almost the entire focus was finding the career, the one that you would want to stay with for the rest of your days. And now, 30 years later, I'm finding that a lot of my friends and colleagues think changing careers, I mean, basically going like from medicine to ministry or going from teaching to business or something like this seems to be almost a norm. It is. It's certainly changed the demographics of business. 
I think we found in the past, we went to work, say, for a major corporation. We felt that corporation was almost a cradle-to-grave opportunity. They took care of us. We expected them to provide the retirement, and we, in turn, gave them our total loyalty to this company. In recent times with the mergers, the changing of executives, the downsizing of companies through the economy and other circumstances, we find that we can't really trust these major corporations anymore to give us a lifelong support activity. So we've got to get out and fend for ourselves. And along with that, we find that, if you will, the company loyalties aren't what they used to be. And not particularly anyone's in fault. I think it's uh, everybody's, uh, you know, feels the same way. Do you sense that the educational process is changing to adapt to this reality of people changing careers? Because I mentioned earlier, when I was in school, it was oriented toward finding the career. In your interaction with Galveston College and some of these other schools, do you find them helping people realize that the career they start with may not be the one they end their working life with? Oh, absolutely, without question. And I think what we're seeing is the educational system is presently developing to meet these needs because we're finding that we need to retrain people, not only just with the individuals themselves, but because of the diverse or changing economies within a particular segment or sector of the country. To where the heavily into a farm economy in one area is now into a manufacturing economy. And so people need to be retrained. And it's not unusual to retrain masses of individuals. So we see this in the, well, cities like Toledo, for example, that uh, years ago was heavy manufacturing. Now they're light, high-tech industry. Not that they wanted to change, but economies were such that they had to change. So we've got to do something with the people rather than just move them off across the country. We no longer live in the Grapes of Wrath days <laughs> where we pick up in our flivers and head to California when we have a dust bowl situation. We retrain and hopefully stay in our own environments. And I sense that if people are into retraining, then one of the services that you offer at the uh, Small Business Center is to try and help them try to sort out what would be some options for them as they realize that they need to make a move for whatever reason from one career pattern into another. Well, absolutely. Although we are not an area or counseling agency that you would come to and say, I want to start a business, what kind of business would I start? We sometimes play the devil's advocate from that standpoint and say, well, if you really want to start a business, do you really want to start a business? Is this what you feel your personality and your desires really are? Are you willing to spend 26 hours of every 24-hour day trying to operate this business or eight days of every seven-day week? And we want you to do what you feel is best for you. But on the other side, we want to make sure that we don't guide you into an area that you're going to be unhappy with. So we turn it back to you and say, well, what kind of business would you like to be in rather than what kind of business should you be in? What kind of businesses or industries do you have specific knowledge of? Say, for example, I've decided I want to make the move. And, I mean, something, either my present line of work is uh, becoming extinguished or being moved or phased out or whatever reason. And I come to you and I say, Mal, this is my dream. This is the kind of thing that I'm hoping I can do. And I sense the very first thing you're going to say, you're going to start into the devil advocate role to try to maybe clarify, crystallize, challenge, maybe all of those. (laughs) 
Exactly. Basically, we start from that. Once you've made the decision that you really do feel strongly that you want to go into business for yourself, then we get into the nuts and bolts situation of saying, okay, the specific type of business, you want to perform this business in a specific geographic area, is there a market for these goods or services? That seems very logical. You definitely want to see if anybody wants to buy. Exactly. Are we going to have trouble selling ice to the Eskimos? Do you have many people come in that have an idea for a business and they are in the equivalent of selling ice to the Eskimos? Not a lot, but we do run into that periodically. And in our operation down there, we never say yes and we never say no, but we certainly say, well, I think you really ought to look at this long and hard. Number one, we don't want anybody to take their savings, if you will, or go to a financial institution, if you could, and borrow money and go into debt to start a business that might not end up profitable for the individual. So we feel that our charter is to discourage as much as it is to encourage. Try and help them get in what we in psychology maybe call reality testing. Exactly. Try to get them associated so that they would once again not be trading in one unhappy situation and moving into another. Absolutely. But say, for example, someone is uh, not at that stage. Do you ever, for example, encourage career counseling or some other services other than that? In other words, maybe they haven't crystallized to the point where they can tell you that first step. They just are ready for a change. What would you suggest they do as a possible first step? Well, I think they definitely need to look at what their interests are, what their hobbies are, what their experiences are, and then select from this and it is, in general, a very vast background, very fairly wide background, specific areas that they think they would be interested in. Once they've defined that, and we can talk to them about it and counsel them along that line, but once they've defined this specific area down to, say, one or two options, then they need to go and get some experience in those particular industries or technical fields or whatever it may be to make certain this is what they want to do. Again, we don't want to help them into areas where they're going to be dissatisfied. So would interest play any more of a different value in the equation than, say, their experience? Or does it something that you kind of mix together? They're kind of one and the same, although interest <laughs> will get you in there. Experience will make you successful. Mm -hmm. Now, oftentimes, experience can be gained once you get into the specific profession or industry or entrepreneurship that you're interested in. But it makes it a fairly long, hard row if you have to learn not only to operate a small business on your own, but you have to learn the industry as well. So you're looking at two learning processes that must be accomplished simultaneously under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. So if you have an interest and experience in a particular area, then you're much better off than an interest with no experience. And say I have some interest and I have some experience, but they're not in the same area, and I'm just kind of thinking, I want to do something completely different. I guess I'm really trying to say, what do you do with a person who just is ready for a change but hasn't really clarified or articulated? 
I've seen many people who say, go to career counselors, go and take psychological tests, interest inventories, and all of this. Is this something that you would do or something that you would encourage them to do in some other location? Well, we would recommend they go to some other location to do that because we're really not staffed or, or set up for that. And if you will, our experience level is not in that area as well. Basically, we're business counselors. And what we do, we get into the nuts and bolts, the nitty-gritty of starting, operating, or improving an existing business. So we tend to stay away from the actual medical counseling if that is a medical counseling area. One of the things that I frequently find as a psychologist that a number of people have what sometimes we call magical thinking. They're very attracted to the positive aspects of small business or being your own boss, and they really don't see all of the things that go in the package. They just kind of get attracted to making my own money, taking my own time, doing exactly what I want to do, not having to take orders, almost magical because they overshadow some of the other real nitty-gritties that you were referring to of how to run a business and how to market it, how to plan it, how to be successful in it. Let's kind of go and say we have someone who has some interest, who has some experience, and they're ready to kind of say, okay, now, how can I use your service to the fullest to help me get this business going? This is something I want to do because I'm, I'm ready for a change for some reason. We find quite frequently that the, the major number one fault area that uh, entrepreneurs, either existing entrepreneurs in business or pre-venture individuals, run into is a lack of planning. So initially, once a person decides, yes, this is what I want to do and I'm ready to do it and has the financial background, capability, or whatever to actually start into this endeavor, the number one thing we want to do is getting he or she on the right track with a proper business plan. Basically, the business plan is a, let's say, a roadmap or a guideline of how I plan to operate this business, what I plan to do, who do I sell to, who are my competitors, what are my financial requirements to operate this business for the first year, two years, and then on downstream. How do most people react when you say plan, plan, plan? Very disappointed. We don't like to plan, we like to do. But in order to do properly, we need to play it. I was thinking that probably the entrepreneurial spirit is a very active doing kind of person. And when you mention the word plan, I can almost see the you know disappointment coming to their face. Very true, very true. And we point out to them that what do you do downstream six months later when you started your business all of the crises are occurring and you're running from pillar to post in a crisis management circumstance and you have no guideline in which to measure your processes, whether you have done poorly, whether you've done well, or what you've done. And basically that's what that plan is. It's nothing more than a roadmap or a guideline with which you measure the success of your endeavor. Be it good or be it bad, you've got to have a yardstick to determine this is where I want to be 
am I achieving these goals? So it's essentially nothing more than goal setting, really. I guess the number one thing that most individuals really do need to look at when they consider starting their own business is, can I make more and be better satisfied in my own business than I can working for somebody else? And if the answer is not a positive yes to this question, then I think you're making a mistake going into business for yourself. And I noticed that question has two parts. Explain just a little bit more about why you put both of them in that question. Well, number one, to make a success out of a small business, an individual or an entrepreneur must be totally and completely dedicated to what he or she's planning on doing. If they're not dedicated, if it's a, well, I'm tired of doing what I want to do and I want to do something else and I'll just jump onto this to see if it's any better, you're not going to make a success out of the business, nor are you going to achieve any personal successes within the business or within your own life. So it really is a two-fold thing. You've got to be dedicated. You've got to feel like this is the one mountain that you want to climb in your life and you're dedicated to doing that. And with that background in mind, that dedication that loyalty, then you may have an opportunity to make this business grow. Mm -hmm. I appreciate your emphasizing both characteristics there. Over the Christmas holidays, I saw a psychologist friend of mine who has been in, in private practice and has decided that he wants to now go and be an artist and paint. And one of the fascinating things is now the children are grown and are leaving home, and now there's the time. So now he's going to do half-time psychology in practice and develop the other half-time in painting, trying to make the transition so that it isn't one of these, I'm going to stop producing income, I'm going to give up everything I have, and I'm going to go paint just because I happen to sell three or four paintings. So I, I sense that's what you're kind of finding some way to make a transition. Well... If there is that opportunity, that's by far the best of all worlds. We certainly encourage any small business owner, and especially with the financial requirements, to start small business these days and the, and I should say, totally non-availability of pre-venture funds from financial institutions. The best way in the world is to start it on a part-time basis. Two things occur when you do this. Number one, you find out whether you really want to do it or not, whether it is as great as it seemed in initial conception. And secondly, it gives you the opportunity to build it to a level where you can then move into it on a full-time basis and the business has the ability to support you. Most small businesses will not provide sufficient income in the first six months to a year to allow an individual to live off of that business. And the business itself is financially consuming, self-consuming. I've heard someone say that you shouldn't really even plan on any income for the first year. In other words, everything that you make will be taken up by business expenses and so forth. Well, not only should you not plan on taking any income out of the business, you should have sufficient capital within the business to support the business for the first year. The business is going to use capital as well. If you have to buy inventory, if you have to pay bills, you've got to have some money in the bank to be able to make those payments, especially if it's a business that you might be employing at some other individuals. That payroll comes around every week, and there's got to be money in the bank to make that payment. It is amazing. Uh, just from my own experience, I know how easy it is for money to go out, and it seems to go out a lot faster than it comes in. Unfortunately, you got to have as many write-ons as you have write-offs. <laughs> I've heard another point of view, and I'd, I'd just be interested in your reaction for those who say, I'm not going to make the transition. I'm going to go into it because I have faith. 
I really believe this is what's going to work, and I'm just going to jump right in because if you don't do it, then it's just showing you you're timid and you don't have faith. In other words, to me, that's not for the faint of heart. No, not at all. But basically, I think what you're alluding to is essentially the entrepreneur's caliber. That's the way they are. They want to get started. They want to do. And in many cases, people of that nature, of that fortitude, do make a success out of it uh, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the downfalls. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you'd be clarifying saying that basically it's going to be a decision for each person. They're going to have to get in touch with their strengths because you and I both know people who just out of sheer will of determination and hard work will make something happen. Exactly. And I think you find people like that in entrepreneurship as well as you find people like that in major corporations. I think probably what you're seeing as the CEO of a large corporation is essentially an entrepreneur. He could make that, he or she could make that go whether it's their own business or whether it's a major corporation because they rise to the top. I guess the real key, of course, is if you go into this, not to just sit back and wait for the business to happen and take care of itself. You have to really have some time and some energy and, as you say, some capital to invest. Well, there's so many things, and unfortunately with small businesses, and, and I, I hope this doesn't sound totally negative because I don't mean it that way, but we find that an entrepreneur is an expert in their particular field, meaning they may be the number one engineer in the world, or they may be the number one controller or financial person in the world, but they may not be the best salesperson, and they may not be the best purchasing agent, and they may not be this, that, and the other, but once you start your own business, you're going to find you have to fill all of those roles, and in many cases, in a sales circumstance, an entrepreneur does not like to really call on customers, but to get that product to market, they've got to be out there knocking on doors, making telephone calls, and doing things that they really really don't want to do. Nobody likes to hear the word no, but in a small business, an emerging business, you're going to hear an awful lot of no's when you're trying to sell that product, and you just have to use that as an opportunity to say, hey, this gives me a chance to talk to somebody else about this marvelous good or service that I have, and I'm going to go on down the road and sell it to the next person. Kind of like developing a positive attitude. It's a learning experience. An attitude that this is for learning. Absolutely. I guess one of the things that I just know from, once again, my own experience that so often there are things that I do well, in other words, in developing friendship and the friendship program here in Galveston, there are things that I do well, but oftentimes until I actually got into the business did I realize that there are a lot of things that I don't do well. And I sense one of the real advantages of coming to talk with you would be to help the person see there's more than just one part of a small business. Exactly, and provide them counseling to help them fulfill those requirements that they have to have. Uh, You know, nobody's an expert in all fields, and certainly we aren't either. But we have enough experience that we at least know the direction to go and we can provide support in financial controls, planning, uh, marketing, selling, this, that, and the other. And it's not just one person sitting there. We have other counselors that support that are experts in the various fields as well. This kind of thing done properly can be one of the most fulfilling 
circumstances of an individual's life. You basically have given birth to an idea, a concept, and you see it grow. And when it becomes profitable, when it becomes successful, you can turn and look in the mirror and say, I am the one that made this thing successful. Sounds like kind of like the joys of parenthood in a different form. Exactly. And in many cases, I think there's probably more problems related to small businesses than there are to parenthood. Well, as I say, from a lot of people who go through all of the joys of parenthood and also so a lot of the pains and frustrations. It sounds like we're making a similar analogy. It's essentially one in the same. Well, Mal, it seems as though the evening has come and gone so very, very quickly. I've just thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you, and I appreciate your contribution in helping our audience to see the kind of birth and development of a small business as an extension of themselves, something that they can plan and something that can grow as people do. And I hope next Thursday you will be back here on KGBC from the Power for Positive Living. This is your host, James Huey, thanking you again for joining us. Good night.